אוקיי, שלום וברכה. שלום. אה, נייד? יצאנה? שלום וברכה. Nice to be here in Los Angeles. Sometimes we see Los Angeles sounds for לא עלינו. ברוך השם, there's good here. There's a lot of good here also. לא עלינו, לא עליכם, בעזרת השם. But we made it here. כבר מלאכים. Yeah, ממש. We're going to go into a beautiful story told by Rabbi Nachman. With, uh, it's, we're not going to go through the whole story, but there's a specific point that has a major message and moral for people that they can use in their struggles in life in general. And in particular, when somebody wants to make the move to come closer to Hashem, and he's going to face a certain challenges, with the message in the story, you can pick up what is needed to hold on. Rabbi Nachman has a story which is called The Exchanged Children. It's a famous story. The idea, there's many stories written by even Gentiles who adapted this story, where there was once a king with his queen and a servant with his maidservant. Both <coughs> wives gave birth on the same day. The maidservant worked for the queen, okay? So the, the nurse who took, who took care of the births, she decided to swap the babies. to take the king's son from the queen and place it by the maidservant and the maidservant's son to place it by the king. Nobody knew about it, okay? But women who like talking, of course, so she couldn't keep the secret. So she told a friend who told a friend until secretly people knew about this swap. But you can't dare to speak to it about the, to the king because this is such a busha and embarrassment. What if it's wrong? What if it's not true, right? But still people were talking about it, etc. So, in short, we're going to skip details. But uh, this, this prince, who's really the son of the slave, he had tendencies to be a slave, because he's born from a slave, a maidservant and a servant. He wasn't, he wasn't a really of a progeny of, of royalty. But, so he had tendencies for being wild and being uh, very reckless. But because he grew up in the house of the king, he had to behave... He had to have the proper nimusim, acting and conduct, etc. But later on, when he became king, they told him, someone told him secretly, you should know, they say rumors about you, not, you're not really the son of the king, and you're going to have to do something about this, because if the, the nation decides to go against you, to do something wrong, they're going to take him to be their king, to go against you. So you have to do something to do away with this prince, this, sorry, the son of the servant, who could really be the son of the king. So he started causing a lot of difficulties and problems for the, the servant, who's really his father, and the boy, <coughs> until the servant said to his son, all this is happening because of the story, that I, he told them what the rumor was, and you have no choice, you have to run away from here. So the father, the servant, who was a servant for the king, so he had money, even though he was a servant, he gave uh, an amount, a substantial amount of money and funds To his son who's really the son of the king and he and he exiled him he sent him away this prince the real prince in other words he was very broken and dejected why do i deserve this what did i do in life that i deserve to be pursued if i'm now really the son of the king then for sure i don't deserve this because i'm the son of the king and if i'm not if i'm the son the, the son of the servant so for sure i don't deserve to have this so he got so broken And frustrated and dejected that he went to drinking and to prostitutes and he felt very very low 
But still, from time to time, he would have what's called charata, regret. He would say, even though, nonetheless, nevertheless, if Hashem did this to me, was it still proper to do what I did? Okay, Hashem did this, God, he said, God did this to me. But look what I did, was that right? So he had a regret, but he gets swallowed up again by the anxiety, and again fell into drinking, and to prostitutes, etc. And happened again and again that he had the regret, and he would fall, the regret, he would fall, and happened again until once he had a dream. And in the dream, they told him in the dream, you want to get out of your situation? Do as we tell you to do. So it's a long story, made short. He finally listened to the dream, kept on coming to him again and again, and he listened to the instructions of the dream. With the dream, we're not going to go into it, it's a long story, he ended up lost in a forest, in the depths of the forest. He was there looking for two animals, two sheep that he was instructed to take care of. And they were running deep into the forest, and he was running after them, okay? And while there, it was nighttime, and he was scared. He never, he never in his life was in the depths of the forest where you have their lions and tigers and bears. Oh my, right? He had, he had very scary animals there. So he hid on a tree. He saw a giant tree. He climbed up on the tree, and he found somebody else hiding there, sitting on the tree. What are you doing here? What are you doing? He said, I'm here running after my horse, and I'm here running after the sheep. In the morning, they woke up. They saw the sheep and the horses below the tree. They quickly ran down to catch the horse and the sheep, but they just ran off. They went in two directions. He bumped into somebody who was in the forest, and he asked him, who are you? He said, I'm a, I'm, I'm a man. Who are you? He said, I'm also a man, but what are you doing here? I'm looking for my sheep. So he, the man in the forest said, stop running after the sheep. You're not running after the sheep. You're running after your averot, your sins. They're driving you nuts. Stop running after them. You received your punishment already. Now you're ready to receive what's truly yours in life. Stop running after them. Fine. So eventually he took him in his house. And in the meantime, they found the second guy. Okay. Who was the second guy? The second guy was the king who was, was really the servant. Now the king. He also had dreams and regret of what he did, that he attacked this other guy who was the real son of the king. So he also had a dream, and they said, if you want to fix the damage, leave the kingdom, run away from being the king. And he listened to the dream. So he ended up also in this scenario that he has a horse, and he's looking for the horse. And it was switched again, and that he was able now to buy back, to, to buy him back as being the slave, and now he was the king. It's a story, we won't go into the details. They now are both in the house of this man in the forest, while in this house of the man of the forest, there was food and drinks and everything. At nighttime, they heard all the animals and creatures and the birds in the forest, they were all howling and yelling and screaming, and they got petrified to hear this. But when they listened closely, they heard it was, they were singing a beautiful melody, a beautiful song. And it was so beautiful, they said, we never heard in our life such a melody that all the animals together are singing this melody. When the, they, they saw the man of the forest, who, who this is his house, they asked him about this. He explained what it was. And he says, you find that amazing? I have here a little instrument, a vessel, that I received from my ancestors, that when you take this instrument and you put it on any animal, the animal begins to sing. Okay? Funny story. <laughs> okay? <laughs> really fairy tale. So, afterwards, he told the son of the king, Come, I'm going to take you now, and you now are going to come to your true greatness to be again the king who you're supposed to be. 
So he sent them out, and before he sent them off, he gave the instrument, this little vessel, to the king's true son, okay? And he said, take this and go in that direction, and you look for a nation, a country that's called the wise king and the stupid nation. Look for that country, and that's where you're going to come to have your greatness restored to you. So he went with his servant, the new servant, and they were excited to test out the vessel, the little instrument on an animal. So they were traveling and traveling miles until they saw a cow, and they put it on the cow, and the cow began to sing, oh, you know, started to sing, okay? And they were excited. So they were looking for more animals to do this, test it out. They finally get to this country, with this nation, where it's the, it's the, the wise king and the stupid nation, but there's one entrance, and they had to go kilometers to get to the entrance, and they did. They went around, 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 until they finally found the entrance. They want to get in. The guards say, wait, 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 wait. You can't come into this country unless you are ready to face the following challenge. What's the challenge? Since the previous king, who was wise, and compared to him, the nation was stupid, since, the, since he passed away, and now his son is the new king, and the new king, the son, he wasn't, he's not as smart as his father. In fact, he's not as smart as the nation. So now the name has been changed. The stupid king and the wise nation. If you are willing to switch back to the original name and to face this challenge, only then we let you in. If you're not willing to face this challenge, we won't let you in. So he said to himself, I can't put myself into this situation. What is this? I can do this challenge. He said to himself, I can't do this. So he stood there, waiting, not knowing what to do. And in the meantime, his servant said, Yana, let's get out of here. Well, you're wasting your time. What are we, why, why are you waiting? You can't face the challenge. You don't want to go in. And we're just wasting our time standing here. Let's go. Go, go. go home. Go somewhere. And he said, no. The man in the forest said, this is my place. This is where I'm going to come to my greatness. In the meantime, came a man riding on, the ho- on a horse. And he also wanted to go in. And they told him, are you willing to face this challenge? And he wasn't willing to face the challenge. So he didn't go in. But they see now an opportunity. There's a horse standing there. They took the clay, the vessel. They put it on the horse. And the horse began to sing also. Oh, whatever. So the man on the horse was so impressed. He says, I want to buy off of you that instrument. So the man, the, the prince, he said, no way. You know, this is something very rare. This is something very cool. I don't want to sell this. What could you possibly give me in return for this? So the man on the horse, he said, listen, I have an amazing skill that I learned from my father, who learned it from his father and ancestors up, up, up. It's a special skill, which is called in Hebrew, lahavin davar mitoch davar, which means to understand one thing from the next, which means if anybody says anything, from what they say, I can, with the skill that I have, I can understand X, Y, Z, and all these things, which the person didn't say, but I can pick it up with the skill that I picked up from my father. So I'll do this, I'll give you this deal. I never revealed it to anybody yet. You give me this cleat, this little vessel, and this instrument, and I'll teach you this skill of knowing how to understand one thing from the next. So he thought about it, and also he said to him another thing. He said, listen, maximum, you do this, you take the vessel, you put on the animal, the album begins to sing. It's like the guy, you know, has the guitar open, he has the guitar box open, and people throw coins and say, bravo, bravo, maximum. It's like a comedy. You have, you have an animal, you put an animal, you put the vessel on the animal, he begins to sing, maximum. People will just give you some coins. This is something much better. So he was convinced, he says, you're right. He take the vessel, and he taught him this skill to understand one thing 
from the next. And with this skill, he understood that yes, he can face the challenge to change the name back to the nation that now is called the stupid king and the wise nation to make it back again that it should be called the wise king and the stupid nation. So he went into the guards. He said, I'm willing to face the challenge. I can do this. So he went in. The guards brought him to all the ministers and explained, we're not stupid. Just compared to the previous king, we were all stupid. But the new king, we're smarter than him. So that's why this name. So they gave two challenges. We went, again, it's a long story. The second challenge was, they said, the first challenge, great. But that's not enough to give you to be king. Because they said to him, if you can switch the name back, we will appoint you as being the king. That's the challenge here. If you merit to do this, then you, you'll be, you will be the new king. So the second challenge was, they brought before him the throne, the king of the, 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 the throne of the previous king. It was a giant, giant throne with metal animals attached to it, all types of animals, like lions and leopards and tigers, and all types of roads, pathways emanating from the throne. And these pathways go throughout the entire nation, the entire country. Nobody understands the meaning of it. And there's also metal animals made of bronze and copper in the middle of these paths. And if anybody tries to come close to that animal, that lion or leopard made of animal, of, of, of metal, the, the, the metal animal opens its mouth and kills the person. She can't come close to him. And nobody understands the secret. So they said, if you can figure it out, you'll become the king. So he came close to the chair, the throne, and he saw that it was made, the color of the throne was the same color and material of the little vessel that he received, that from the man of the forest that he put on the animals, he saw it was the same coloring with green leaves and trees and brown of the bark of the tree. So he saw it's the same force here. That means that this throne, if now things are put in the right place, it also will create that all these metal animals will begin to sing that same melody. But here it's magnified because you have all these metal animals together. So he saw, for example, on the top of the chair of the, of the king, there was a place for a rose. Not a real rose, a designed rose. And he saw that on the bottom of the throne was the rose. If now the rose was put back up on top in the place, plus you move a little in front of the, the throne, there was a table and candles, chairs, and these pathways with these, with these metal animals of tigers and lions and everything, if you adjust everything a little bit, the throne will begin to emanate this beautiful melody of the little vessel. And the man who sits on the throne is like the one who is the authority on this. So he told them to do that. They moved around everything and the throne began to let out this melody that he saw with the little vessel on, this, on the animals and he became the king. Okay? This Rabbi Nachman teaches. What's the meaning here? This is very deep, obviously, but there is a very practical ramification. In the tradition in Breslov, they say like this, that this vessel that causes a person to sing is the light of the Torah, the light of Hashem, the light of the tzaddikim. And we are the animals. We, how we grow up, how we live, our society, we're animals. We have to admit we are animals. We eat like animals, we sleep like animals, we have relationships like animals. <laughs> We're like animals. We admit we're not perfect. We're not tzaddikim. Okay? Yet, the, when the light of Hashem shines on a person, the light of the tzaddikim, the light, when a person, for example, wants to start doing tshuva, wants to start coming back, normally what happens, people have intense light. 
Yeah, for someone, for example, for the first time goes to the Kotel. You have people like that, and they're flying. You see they're flying. They have to come down. You have to bring them down. I'm having a high now. Oh, my God. You, you call your friend. How's it there? In, how's it in Israel? Oh, don't ask. I'm flying. I'm flying. And they come back. They have a major crash. Okay? Everyone in their personal lives, they have a spiritual high. A spiritual high. Okay? Each one, it comes in a different format. Some people will be at a Pink Floyd concert. I don't know. That person has a high in that format, whatever. But people have this experience where it's like a spiritual lift and you have this closeness. But the vessel is taken away and you go back to being the animal that you were. In other words, it was, it was temporarily. It was a temporary experience that you have a high, okay? A very common example you have, like, like we said, these Balchuvas, people who started to become religious and then you see them 10 years later, they took off the kippah, no more Shabbat. What happened? Ah, it's not for me. I crashed. It was too intense, too high for me. It wasn't my, my cup of tea, right? They give up on it because they don't know how to handle it. It was just a vessel. It wasn't them. I am the animal. That's true. And the light was given to me as a gift to experience a taste of what's actually out there. Because the real truth is there is this light. There is Hashem. There's the Torah. There's the tzaddikim, there's Moshe Rabbeinu, there's all these tzaddikim, right? There is this intensity, it's out there. But where am I holding in relationship to this? And what's expected of me in order to connect to this light? Yes, okay? Everyone in their life, they have it sometime. So now, this vessel is only the light of the Torah, the light of the tzaddikim, but it's external. I need to reach a level that I become one with this melody. I become like the prince at the end of the story that I sit on the throne that has this nigun. That's a part of me. I control it. I'm on top. It's no longer that I'm an animal and I have the light of the Torah enhancing me, but I'm still an animal. I didn't change. I want to reach a level where I'm sitting on the throne and this light is a part of me. How did this prince come to that? Through this skill, which is called to understand one thing from the next. Lavin davar mitoch davar. What does that mean? That means... When a person becomes aware and opened of the truth, of the Torah, of Hashem and everything, and is a big light, so this light is taken away, like in this story. Now, the, the quest is, am I going to run after that light because it was such a high? Am I going to be just interested in the light part? Or am I, looking, am I interested in working hard to get to it until, until it becomes a part of me? Which means, I have to now pull up my sleeves and I have to get to work. Lavin davar mitoch davar means that now a person in his life has a quest to seek out what is the real truth. There's the truth. Even in Judaism, there's the truth. But there's what's called the real truth. Emet lamito. I'll give you an example. How you can have two opposites here. Rabbi Nachman had a disciple. His name was Rabbi Natan. We call him Rav Nosin. That's the, the Ashkenazi slang, Rav Nosin. And this Rav Nosin, he was a big Tamit Chacham. And he was offered a position by his father-in-law, who was a big, big Dayan. He was a big judge in three villages in the Ukraine. He offered him to become Dayan in one of the villages. Which meant what? That if he's a Dayan, he'll have a fixed parnasa, a fixed income, and he'll be able to dedicate his time learning Torah, serving Hashem, and being involved in holiness, etc. And he'll be a big rabbi, a judge for the, for the, for the Batedinim, the courts, the, the, the Jewish courts. So he didn't know if this was really for him. He asked Rabbi Nachman, is this for me? 
Should I take the position? Rabbi Nachman said, why not? For sure. Who's more qualified than you? You know Torah, you have humility, you have attributes which make you fit to learn Torah and to be able to, to execute the right psak, the right halachic decision. So take the position. Still, Rav Nosson didn't feel good about it. He said, but is this the real truth? Is this the real truth for me? So Rav Nosson says, you want the real truth? Don't become a Rav. Why? Because it's going to ruin your personal growth. All the kavod and honor you're going to receive as a rabbi, it may be good for Am Yisrael, for the Jewish people, but it's going to ruin your personal development because of the honor that you're going to receive. You won't be able even to say Birkat Amazon properly. You won't be able to do even simple things because everyone's always looking at you and always looking at you. Right? It's like Rabbi Nachman once told the story of a Rebbe, a rabbi, and he would daven every day shacharit in his room privately. And once he heard scratching at the door, so he thought it was his chassidim trying to listen how he davens. So he started to put on a show and started davening, like, you know, screaming and davening. And this went on for seven years. Seven years, every, the scratching every morning and he's davening. After seven years, it happened once, somebody opened the door in the middle and it was a cat scratching on the door for seven years. For seven years, he was praying to a cat. Okay? What's the idea? Again, this is, the, this is what Rav Nosson was worried about. Fine, I'll become a big rabbi and everything, but it's not the real truth. This skill, lavin davar mitoch davar, as a person's mission in life, to seek out the real truth, which means in many levels, who am I really? Why am I here? Why am I here? Why, what am I doing in this world? Okay, I'm a Jew, fine. Jew, Brit Milah, Shabbat, Pesach like everybody else, you know, kosher, brachot, tulin, bar mitzvah, okay, okay, like everybody else. But what am I doing here? You, as if they need me, the Jewish people needs me. What am I? What's my purpose? What's my picture here? Why am I here? What, what in the world, Hashem, do you want from me? That in my life you send me such roller coasters, such crazy ups and downs. What in the world do you want from me? What's my, what's my, my job here? This is the test, yes. And the mission is to seek out and clarify. And not to start making a conclusion. Okay, in these ups and downs, I had also this spiritual experience of God and Hashem and looking and searching and everything. But after when I have these downs, ups and downs, I say, it's not for me. It's not for me Judaism. It's not for me Torah. It's not for me to continue to pursue and look and search for what's really out there. I'm just going to settle with what's called status quo. Be like everybody else. Be sad. Just work and have a job and the daily grind of life. And go with that and try to manage to survive until Mabi Asrim, if not Mabi Asrim, until 90, 80, 70, whatever, and be like everybody else, become like a shmata, very worn out, and that's, that's life. Okay? That's the thing here. Do we settle for that? Or do we look for what's called the real truth? In this story, Rabbi Nachman teaches that if a person is willing to look for the real truth, he will come to the light. He will come to that melody that he once tasted. Because again, everybody in their life as a Jew, what's tshuva, by the way? What's tshuva? Tshuva translates as a response. What response? Tshuva means Hashem sends you a message and you wake up responding. Tshuva, I'm, I'm responding. I'm answering to the call. Hashem sends a person a message to wake up, to make a change. And the person now picked up the message. Okay, I'm coming back. Okay? That's the idea of tshuva, okay? That's the idea of, of the repentance. So again, every person gets this message 
Hashem sends it to some person when he's a teenager, sometimes in his 20s, sometimes in his 30s, and then in his 40s, 50s. Each person at a different stage in their life, they get the message. The question is, how do I respond? Do I brush it off and say, this is not for me because I've tried it, I've tested, I, I've done it, I've been there, that expression, been there, done that. Or do I pick up the message? Another problem is, people, when they have these experiences, they want just the high, that light. You know, I don't want a commitment. I want to have that spiritual connection, but no commitment. But you're still like an animal. That's the whole problem here. You'll still be a behemoth. Hashem wants that you should become the prince who you really are, the prince or the princess that you really are, that you sit on the throne and you're part of this melody, that it's a part of you, okay? Now to get to that requires work, that I'm willing, yes, to make a sacrifice, and it's not, not easy, but I am on the path to reveal what the real truth is. In this story, Rabbi Nachman shows us that if you are determined to seeking the real light, you will come to it. You will come to it. Not like most people think, ah, miskan, look at that guy. He became religious, and now he has no money, and he has problems this, and he has health issues, and he's getting nowhere. That's the test. People see that. But the real truth is, he's holding on. He's going to get somewhere. He's going to make it somewhere in life, visit Hashem, because he's determined to find the real truth. Not to say that that has to be the scenario. That doesn't have to be the scenario. That person is poor and, and suffering, and that doesn't have to be the scenario. Each person in their level. But the idea is that a person makes a commitment. So now, with all this said, Rabbi Nachman teaches what is the main key for a pe person to continue in his search and to be able to hold on to all the ups of life and all the downs. What is the most important key? And it's very obvious. The key is simcha. Joy. When we say simcha, we mean simcha that a person has what's called simchat chayim. He has happiness of himself. He's happy about himself. He feels good about himself. He doesn't feel guilty and negative and I have no value and I'm, 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 I have no purpose. Ajaba. Everything I do has a purpose. And when I can't be besimcha, it doesn't move. It's not moving because it's too heavy. I have good points. I have something to be happy about. But the negativity is just driving me nuts and making me dark. So Nachman says because of that, most of the time, a person has to act silly and make jokes in order to come to true simcha. He said, Rabbi Nachman, seeing how people today are so sad and depressed, mainly because there are, people are really after money and running for physical wealth, and we know that it's just empty. There's no gain, right? If there's no kedusha connected for wealth, for example, that person has in mind, I'm going to buy a nice Lamborghini so I can take Rav David Pinto to shul. Now, that's why I buy Lamborghini, okay? Or have a big house so I can have five guest rooms for Achnasat Orchim and I'll have every Shabbat a table, 50 guests. I do my mitzvah not for the sake of, you know, I'm the rich guy and I got the yacht and everything. I do everything in order that I can connect it to Hashem. That brings true simcha in the Lamborghini and the nice house, okay? It brings the simcha because my intent is for kedusha, okay? It gives, a, it gives a meaning. But most people, unfortunately, it's not that. They get trapped in the means and make the means the goal. The means of manin, parnasa, etc. is for the goal, which is Hashem, the Torah, simcha, and the mitzvot, okay? But if a person gets attracted to the means, like in this case, the animal, there's, a, there's, the, there's the vessel, the light, oh, I want that light, which could also be a physical light of, of wealth and everything enriches the glitter of physicality. So a person misses the point. He makes the means into a goal. 
So he said again, Rabbi Nachman said, that seeing how people today are walking around depressed and sad because they've made the means their goal. They made their goal on, based on something which is, which is not tangible, which is not real. And therefore, the simcha is not as empty. So because of that, the main way how people can be happy today is by telling jokes and acting silly. So I'm going to tell you guys a joke and I really hope it works today. Why did the chicken cross the road? It's here. No. Why did the chicken cross the road? You know this joke. To get to the other side. No, because Colonel Sanders is running after him. <laughs> okay. All right. This is a joke. More jokes. More silliness in order for a person to come to true simcha. He says, if now you... Uh, what's the word? If you become regular in joking and silliness, even though, even though the rabbis teach in the Gemara, it's not good to be too silly, because when you're too silly, you begin to do bad things. However, the damage caused by sadness and depression is far worse, far greater than the damage caused by acting silly. So it makes sense, be silly instead of the damage of sadness. The Ramban, Rav Moshe ben Nachman, on his commentary in the Chumash, he says something very amazing. He says that the root word for the nervous system in the body, in Hebrew is called Atzabim. Ma'arechet Atzabim, the nervous system. The root word is Ain Tzadik Bet. That shares the same root of another word in Judaism, Atzvut, sadness. Ain Tzadik Bet. And explains the Ramban that sadness is the biggest sickness to ruin a person's nervous system. For example, you go to a doctor, okay? You not, you're not feeling well, okay? You do a blood test and everything, and you're feeling like you're feeling at level seven, or minus seven, okay? And the doctor says, I have some bad news for you. You have this and this and this and that. The bad news he gave you made you from minus seven to minus 700 now. You got sick because of the bad news. The doctor didn't help in the end. He made it even worse. You think you're going to a doctor to get better, but the bad news, <laughs> he, he made it worse. The Torah says about doctors, by the way, and a doctor has permission to heal. A doctor doesn't have permission to give you bad news and to make you worse. The doctor has permission where he can do something positive, do it. But not to break the person. I'm sorry you have this. Your bad news doesn't help, doesn't help me. They made it even worse, right? So from all this you see that sadness is the number one killer. Rabbi Nachman teaches the opposite. And the main healer in life is Simcha. Simcha, if Atzvut destroys, so automatically Simcha, because of that, a person has to do everything, everything within his reach in order to be happy. Another joke? Are you ready? Yeah. Well, this one you're going to fall off. Ready? We have to sing along with me. Even the woman can sing because it's not Kodisha because you got it together. Oh my darling. Oh my darling. Oh my darling. Clementine. You're not laughing. You don't know it. He's mocking. He doesn't know it. They didn't see that. Ah, la France, on a pas fait ça. Au Maroc, on a pas fait ça. J'ai essayé de mixer. C'est pas vrai. Okay? He's not laughing still. I don't believe. Oh, he's laughing now. Okay, thank you. Finally. No, you're laughing. You're laughing, Mr. Finally. Okay, this, we got Mila Dishtuta, or Moroccan, Mila Dishtuta, okay? You do Mila Dishtuta, this is what gives you a good feeling. See how you feel okay? You feel a bit of relief, right? The smile, that good smile you see. This is what Rabbi Nachman teaches, is what you need every day. Every day. Now, it doesn't work sometimes. Yes, it doesn't work sometimes. Sometimes you're just so messed up, and you have the daily joke of the day. You have an app that says, it gives you a, a daily joke of the day, fine? And it doesn't work today. So you try something else. Another advice Rabbi Nachman gives is turn on some music. Yes, 
put on, if it's Jewish music, if it's Sheikh Mijo, Salim Alali, I don't know what you listen to, okay? If it's Mordechai Ben David, or if it's Lipa Schmelzer, I don't know what you listen to, okay? Led Zeppelin, or whatever, okay? You listen to music that leave gates, gets you in a good feeling, and dance, start moving, move, move that butt, move it. I'm sorry I said that, but I have to say that. You have to move it. Move your body, dance, clap, okay? Get in a good mood. Rabbi Natan, Rabbi Nossan, he told one of his students, I'm going to give you an advice how to get into Gan Eden. Dance every day. Dance every day, he told them. You hear that? In our communities in Yerushalayim, us, Mr. Balgava here, our rest of communities, okay? We dance every day after Shacharit and Arvit. You go to a rest of a shul, a synagogue, they have, they have after the Arvit and, and Shacharit, they hold hands. Everyone, even the big Talmud Chacham who knows the whole Talmud and everything, and this new Baal Tshuva, he has the little kuka and he has the earrings, they grab hands together and they dance in a circle together every day in order to do that movement, to do that, that, that movement, right? The 20-minute workout of being Bismcha, Bezat Hashem, put on music, even if you're alone, in your office, for example, guy, he's working nuts nine hours a day, and he needs a break, so he closes the door, he turns on the blinds, and he puts on his favorite music, and he dances. Yes, it does, it makes a change. As opposed to someone who works Tisha B'Av from 9 to 5, okay, and no break, at least you stop it with some simcha, some joy, so then it changes the attitude for the rest of the day, okay? But sometimes a person is too heavy, and that also doesn't work. He can't tell a joke, doesn't help, and he's just too tired and drained to dance, and put, he can't even turn on the music. He's so tired, he's so lazy, he can't even turn on the music. So Rabbi Nachman's next advice, advice he gives, is to find your good points. To just say, thank you, Hashem, for the good that I did, even though I'm like this, but thank you that it's like that. Thank you to give recognition. When a Jew wakes up in the morning, what's the first thing he says? Modani, thank you, right? Thank you. The first thing, Hashem wants you to start the day on the right footing. Most people... They want to wake up, for example, someone wants to wake up on time. He wants to wake up at 7 in the morning or 6 to go to show. So he wakes up instead at 10. So how does it normally work with 10? Ah, man, he turns off the thing and he gets upset and he, and he starts cursing and everything. No, the Torah says even when you wake up at 10, you have to say modani. You have to say modani. You have to go back to bed and say, get out and say modani. The guy got out of bed the first time wrong, so you send him back to bed. And now get out, now say modani, now when you go out, okay? That's, that's the idea of giving thanks. But sometimes even this doesn't help. Person's going through such a traumatic thing. God forbid he's going through a divorce. Chas Shalom, he's problem with his kids. And it's driving him nuts that the, the teacher says like this. And the doctor says he needs like this type of psychiatric help. And this person's going nuts. He does, he's like his whole life went blank. Went blank. So that, jokes won't help him. He's talking to the wall. Dancing won't help him. He's talking to the wall. Finding the good points, uh, he's, 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 he's in a zombie mode because of what he's going through. So for this, Rabbi Nachman teaches, everybody, every Jew needs a tzaddik in their life. You would think, what is this tzaddik business? Why do you guys go to Uman and drive us nuts? You know, we have Hashem, we have the Torah, we have our shul, we have our, if I do dafyom, I have my art school, Shadistin Gemara, I have my Torah studies, I have the parsha of the week. Why do you guys drive us nuts about a tzaddik, a tzaddik, a tzaddik? You know why? Because a tzaddik is someone who gives non-stop revitality, energy for a person, no matter what yo-yo they go through in their life, to give them that boost, Bezat Hashem, to start again and be happy. This is illustrated in the Gemara. The Gemara says, I think it's Moed Katan, that besides the western wall of the Beit HaMikdash, the Kotel Amaravi, 
one other item was not destroyed by the enemies in the first Beit HaMikdash and the second Beit HaMikdash. That was the foundations. It says in the Gemara there that the Gag, the roof of the Beit HaMikdash was burnt and destroyed up, up, up until the foundations, but that's where it stopped. It didn't burn the foundations. So that the Yesodot, in Hebrew, foundation is Yesodot, of the Beit HaMikdash still exists, it's still standing. So Avnosan illustrates this with the idea that when a person's personal Beit HaMikdash you have in your head, like the Holy of Holies, Kodesh Kodeshim is the brain of a Jew, and the heart is like the, the Mizbeach, the altar of the, of the Beit HaMikdash. Okay? Every, sometimes a Jew, most of the time, a person feels burnt out, wasted. He feels like he's burnt his Beit HaMikdash. I let in all types of garbage from the internet in my head. My heart is all damaged of all the ta'avot that I've let myself into. All the anger that I expressed that just builds up in the heart. I feel like I've destroyed my temple. I've destroyed my Beit HaMikdash. If now such a person has a tzaddik, and the tzaddik is called in the Pasuk, Mishle, the Pasuk says, tzaddik yesod olam. The tzaddik is called the foundation of the world corresponding to this foundation of the Beit HaMikdash, when a person has a tzaddik in his life that he can always turn to for encouragement, even if he gets burnt out, wasted, burnt out, if now he has a tzaddik, he's able to give him that boost to start again. So we spoke about many things tonight, okay? The first thing is a person should be real truthful with himself and not be turned on by the glitter and, and, and glow of whatever it is, whether it's even in the spiritual world and for sure in the, the, this world, this mundane world, but rather to look for what's called the real truth, the emet lamito, to seek out, what it, to understand one thing from the next, to come to the truth, and that way a person becomes a king. A person becomes the king, the, or the malka, the king or the queen sitting on their throne. And now, to come to that challenge, to hold on, a person's going to need a major, major simcha in life to hold on. That's the key for holding on. Just one story to illustrate this and we'll finish with this story. A true story that took place, I guess in the 1920s, 1930s, when many Jews from Eastern Europe began to immigrate to America. They would come to Ellis Island in New York. So there were two families, two religious families. They came to Ellis Island and they went to New York like everybody else and they went to look for a job, okay? And back then, you had to work six days a week. Day off was Sunday. Okay? If you didn't show up to work on Saturday morning, you lost your job. Very simple. Straightforward. We don't need you. We have other people who need the job. You know, you can't show up on Saturday, you're out. Okay? Two families. Shomer, Shabbat, everything. They came to work. They said, no way am I going to work on Shabbat. No way. So both families, the fathers, didn't show up to work on Shabbat. They lost their jobs. They went looking the next week for another job. It took now time to find another job. And again, came Shabbat, again, they were fired, they didn't show up for work, okay? And then the third week, it became even harder, because now, it's harder to find a job. You try this, you know, there's an X on you, they won't let you back into this company, this factory, there's another X here, until it takes longer time to find a job. So they ended up in a situation, both families, where they came to the Shabbat table, and there was no food at the table. So one family, he couldn't stand seeing his kids starving, and crying at the table, not knowing what to do. And the pressure broke him, and he started to work on Shabbat. And he lost all of his kids. They all assimilated, intermarried. If there's no Shabbat in the house, there's nothing. We know that already. If I keep Shabbat, Hashem protects me. That's, that's the key here, right? Okay? So he lost everything. The second family, the exact same thing happened. 
The kids were starving at the table, the third or fourth Shabbat, they had no food. But what did he do? He appreciated and recognized that this is a test from Hashem. Hashem runs the world, not the factory in New York. Okay? So he, with the situation, with everybody starving, he started singing all the songs of Shabbat as if nothing was wrong, as if everything was fine and dandy and okay, okay? And he took his kids on his laps and he's singing with them. They were so impressed, his kids, by the simcha of the father, even though they're starving, they didn't feel a thing. He was able with his joy that he was really happy because he knew this is from Hashem. He was able to give that message to his kids and he had a breakthrough. He had a breakthrough that Hashem arranged it, that he found a good job. We didn't have to work on Shabbat. He had to open his own business. And this man succeeded that his children continued Torah and Mitzvot. They married with the Jewish people and it continued. There was a continuity in, in this family. There was no simulation because there was no pressure. Oh my God, what am I going to do? I was going to take out of this. They held on. because How did he hold on? Because of Simcha. He teaches Rabbi Nachman. And uh, I mean, we can go on and on and on. I don't know how long we can go on. It's really late, but... Now, when a person even fakes it, one fakes the simcha, one more hour? Yeah, one more not, one more hour. No. Okay? If a person fakes it, he fakes the joy even though it's hard and, it's, and he doesn't have simcha, when a person forces the simcha in the situation, he creates a scenario of a new opportunity that didn't even exist, that didn't exist before, but him being happy opened up a new vista for an opening to happen. So I guess we'll tell one more story because to illustrate this because it's very powerful. He tells an analogy of Nachman of a clay digger. There was a clay digger in Eastern Europe. You know, digging clay, what type of job is that? Misken. To dig clay, that's his parnas. How much money he gets for digging clay? Or a few, po- a few coins, a few dollars, that's it for the day. And he was digging, digging, and he came across a giant chunk of diamond. Whoa! He took the diamond, he went quickly to the local jeweler. He said, how much? He wanted an appraisal. How much does it cost? He said, listen, I, I don't know how much it costs. It's humongous. I can't give you an appraisal. It's, it's <laughs> and I don't, I don't even have the money to buy it off of you. So what do you want me to do? What can I do? He said, the only option I can think of is you go to the major world diamond exchange in London. There they can appraise the diamond and you'll get, you'll get, you'll get your money's worth. So he sold everything, this Jew. He sold his house, his horses, his bed. He sold his wagon. He sold everything at home to buy tickets, transportation to get to England. His money ran out when he just reached the end of the European continent and he had no more money to cross the, the channel, the English channel, to get to England. He saw there a giant ship, a big, big, massive ship with a captain there standing. He went up to the captain, he showed him the diamond. He said, look, my money is here. I'm not lying, I'm not playing a game. Here's my money. I don't have any cash. Let me on your ship. And I, I promise, I'll pay you. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to cash, cash in this diamond. You're going to have whatever you want, whatever you ask for me. He said, no problem. He saw the diamond. He was really lit up, the captain. No problem. Welcome. He gave him the nice penthouse on the ship. He helped him with his baggage, the captain. He took him to the room. The Jew, he was starving. He took out his little crackers that he had with him, the little dried bread that he had left over and vegetables. And the captain was sitting with him while he was eating. And then the Jew dozed off and he left the diamond on the, on the tablecloth to see his good fortune that's waiting for him. And he dozed off and the captain left the room because he wants to sleep. And while the Jew dozed off, the steward working for the captain came in to clean the table. So he took the tablecloth, he didn't see the diamond on the tablecloth. He went to the deck and he shook off all of the contents, including the diamond, into the, into the sea. 
So the Jew woke up after 15, 20 minutes and he's, where's the diamond? Where's the diamond? Where's the diamond? And you understood what happened? I'm finished. I'm finished. This captain, he's ruthless, obviously. That's all the captains were back then. He is for sure 100% going to kill me. My life is X. Over. Finished. And he starts to panic and he starts to go nuts. What am I going to do? To tell him what happened, for sure he's going to kill me. And he's thinking over and over what to do, what to do, what to do, what to do. And he concluded... He thought clearly for a second. He said, the one thing that can maybe save me is if I pretend as if nothing happened. That's the one thing I can think of. So he did that. He pretended as if nothing was wrong. He hears a knock on the door after half an hour. And it's the captain. He opens the door. It's the captain. And the captain has a very serious and subdued uh, impression on his face. He said, what's, 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 what's wrong? What's happening? He said, listen, I need a very big favor from you. I see you're an honest Jew, an honest man. And I want to ask a big favor. I have on this ship, the, in fact, the whole ship is filled with a massive consignment of wheat. And the value surpasses even your diamond because it's a big ship with wheat for the, the whole country of England. Do me a favor. When I cross me, I'm a, I'm a merchant and a captain. Because of that, the taxes when I bring in this commodity, this merchandise of, of wheat to England, they charge me a lot. The taxes is very high, okay? But if you do it on your name, because you're a newcomer, so they have like a, a, a fraction of the taxes because they want to encourage new, new merchants to come in and to, to do business with England, so they give you a very, very low tax. Do me a favor. Let's sign everything on your name, okay? And we cross the border, the taxes, give it back to me. The Jew said to himself, thank God, this is what's going to save me. This is my opening. So they did that. They crossed the border. Right after when they went through, the taxes, everything, the captain had a chest pain. He collapsed and died. He had a heart attack and he died, leaving all the wheat under the name of the Jew. Okay? Rabbi Nachman concludes this story like this. He said, the diamond really did not belong to the Jew, proof being it was taken away from him. The wheat, however, really did belong to him, proof being that he, that's what he ended up with. And how did he come to what was really destined to be his? Sure. Because he acted as if everything was okay. He pretended to be happy. And who would have thought this possibility? Do you think he even thought of this possibility that the king would have such, that the, the captain would, have, would ask, ask such a favor? No. His simcha, pretending, opens up an avenue that you never even thought of. And this is where Rabbi Nachman develops a lot. He says, if you have a dead-end situation, they say it's terminal cancel, they say it's for sure divorce, they say the parnasa is finished, they say now the kids are never going to make it. And they say that also, you're never going to wake up on time, you're never going to be a tzaddik, you're never going to make it. You're faced with dead-end situations in your life constantly. He teaches, there's one thing that can blast open the doors, even if everybody gave up on you, even if the Torah gave up on you, and the tzaddikim and everything, this person, big X, there's one thing that opens the doors always, and that's simcha. And a person has to really, really educate himself, train himself so much to be in simcha so that, so that when he's faced with such a situation, a traumatic situation, by instinct, by instinct he goes right to simcha. Normal people who don't work on simcha, so when they're faced with a, with a very stressful anxiety situation, they start off to speak to this uh, therapist, have to speak to this coach, speak to this rabbi, speak to this lawyer, and the person's going nuts. 5,000 things, and he doesn't do the right thing, of course, because when you're in a bad situation, you, you can't think clearly, you can't, make the right, you can't make the right move, 
Okay? So for sure he's making the wrong decision, for sure. And Bistama, most probably he's going to get a dead end. He's going to make the wrong decision. Most people, when they have a bad decision, they look back 10 years ago, they say, if only I would have done this or that. They know, they look back. Here Rabbi Nachman teaches, stop thinking. Stop, stop, stop. Go into Simcha. Yes, act stupid, act silly. Because by bringing in the Simcha, you generate an opening for something good to happen that you yourself never even thought existed. Okay? It's a big, big work. But it involves that a person works on being besimcha. And with this, we should merit each of us to have our throne and have that nigun, that it's part of us. I sit on, I'm no longer an animal that you put on this vessel. I'm now master of the nigun, the melody, and it's coming from me. And I have this light shining from me, Bezat Hashem. And with this, we should bring Mashiach, because the Pasuk says, what does the Pasuk say? We say it every Motzei Shabbat in the Pesukim, Ki besimcha tetzeu. It says in the Pasuk that about the future redemption. With joy, the Jews will come back to Eretz Yisrael. But Rabbi Nachman reinterprets like this. Ki be simcha, through joy, you will come out. Come out of what? Whatever you're stuck in in life. Tetzeu, period. Whatever you're stuck in life, activate joy to open up the opening in order to come up with Hashem. Chazak Baruch. Chazak Baruch.